welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hi, this is Lenny Kaiser, and welcome. Space is one of those topics that, at least in theory, unites Americans. We all love to watch a big rocket go boom or up, but the devil is definitely in the details, and the devil is certainly where we meet some of the issues that were recently uncovered in NASA's attempted launch of the nearly $4 billion Artemis rocket. To discuss Artemis and the attempt to once again get to the moon and beyond, we are joined by David Brown. David is an author, a regular clearance jobs contributor, and all-around fantastic human being. So thank you so much, David, for being on the show to chat with me. Thank you very much for having me. So the first time that I actually learned about the SLS rocket, you can pretend that you can see my props, people, but the radio audience cannot, was actually while reading your book, The Mission, which was released in 2021, and I believe is now out in paperback. So if you were super excited about Artemis and are now disappointed, you will have time to read The Mission in between now and when it launches again, as I understand it, because I think it's going to be at least a month. So the book was about Europa, which is the smallest of like the four Galilean moons that are orbiting another planet, Jupiter, I believe, what is space. But it actually speaks a lot more broadly to our space program and how projects like SLS and Artemis come together. So talk a little bit about why SLS is in a book about Jupiter's moons, if you can, David. Well, one thing that I try to get across in the mission is that really... I see you waving my book at me. You know, just pretend everybody you're missing out. It's a, it's a, it's got a great cover. The pages are so buttery soft. I think we talked about this last time we talked about your book, David. I'm a sucker for buttery soft book pages. I had them do that just for you. Thank you. The um, <laughs> one point that I try to get across in the mission is that although NASA has a great many missions that cover literally everywhere in the universe in one way or another, everything really is connected. In a lot of strange and sometimes unexpected ways, unexpected even for people who work for NASA and who launch these missions. In the case of SLS, this was a rocket whose lineage goes back to the George W. Bush administration. There was a program called Constellation, which you can think of as sort of a proto-Artemis. And the goal was to go to the moon and after that, go to Mars. It traces its lineage to an earlier program from George H.W. Bush, which was called the Space Exploration Initiative, whose goal was to build a space station in order to go to the moon and then go to Mars. And Artemis's job now is to build a new space station, one that orbits in cislunar space, in other words, that area between Earth and the moon, and go to the moon and then go to Mars. One problem that NASA runs into perennially is that it is an office of the president of the United States. Every time a new White House comes in, as soon as they need to find more money in the budget, the easiest thing to cut is space. And a lot of times that means going for things that are slightly less ambitious or perhaps missions that are on a much longer timeline. In other words, the president can give a great speech that says we're going to go to Mars, that the unspoken part is in 30 years, which means you get to have the inspirational speech without finding a way to pay for it. In the case of SLS, when the Obama administration came in, they wanted to get rid of the Constellation program. They were not interested in this moon business. They were not interested in this Mars business, really weren't even interested 
interested in this rocket at all. Obviously, defense contractors, aerospace contractors, and Marshall Space Flight Center in, in Huntsville, Alabama, they were very interested in preserving their rocket program. And there's a strong argument to be made that you know the defense industrial base depends on our ability to launch rockets, whether that's for communication satellites or intercontinental ballistic missiles. There was great pushback against the Obama administration who wanted to get rid of this Constellation program and, and, and the idea of a big rocket to go to the moon. At the time, the Obama administration was dealing with sort of healthcare reform, and nobody wanted to sacrifice political capital over a rocket. Sort of the big compromise that the Obama administration reached with Congress, Marshall Space Flight Center in, in Huntsville, and the aerospace contractors was, we will give you your big giant government rocket. In exchange for that, we need money to seed the private sector with sort of startup funding to try to build their own commercial rockets so that rather than NASA owning the rockets, these companies are going to own rockets and NASA can use these companies sort of the way we use Uber, right? Someone else owns the car. We just call them when we need them. And now we have SLS. <laughs> well, I mean, that's you recently unpacked that for an article for clearance jobs. And I loved the little, I mean, I'm a total geek when it comes to stuff like this, but kind of the intersection between how Congress interplays with it and these government agencies and trying to get a project like this accomplished. Obviously, you've been to Cape Canaveral twice now to try to see this puppy launch. Potentially next month, we'll be there again. And it came down to hydrogen, which puts us back in the place of asking about the history lesson that you just gave us around this rocket and kind of the competition between, or is it competition? Are they friends? Are they enemies? Are they frenemies? Starship and Artemis, you can answer that question for me too, David. Hydrogen being an issue with SLS, can the government afford to like rethink its decision-making process around a rocket like this? Or at this point, we've just sunk so much money and this is it, right? I just have many questions about that. Tell me what I need to know. You do indeed. And that's uh, the, each one of those taken apart would be a complicated question. But I'll sort of start with why is this rocket using hydrogen? And and in fact, uh, when you look at SLS, it's kind of interesting. The primary fuel sources are hydrogen and oxygen. And after they ignite, what you're seeing that that sort of plume, what looks like smoke as the rocket launches into the air, if it ever launches into the air, is actually water vapor. That's that's just the hydrogen and oxygen reacting. Hydrogen has always been a notoriously finicky, and that's a nice way of putting it, fuel source for rockets for reasons that we've now seen with two scrubbed launches for Artemis 1. Basically, it leaks very easily. That's kind of the short version. Why are we using it? Well, the space shuttle used it. Was that a bad decision at the time? Yes, it was. So why, having made a bad decision once, are we making a bad decision again with Artemis? And the answer is the Senate mandated to NASA that they reuse shuttle parts and shuttle technology and existing shuttle contracts whenever and wherever possible. You'll recall that the space shuttle program ended in 2011. The shuttle has a complicated legacy. On one hand, it's kind of like a flying statue of liberty. I mean, it is interesting. I think there was a quote that I saw. It was in Interesting Engineering by Lori Garver, who I was introduced to in the mission. I remember a little section because you did a great job of kind of introducing us to some of these very human characters and players within the space program and within Congress and Capitol Hill and government and how they all play together on getting anything involved in the space program. And I totally geek out on those stories. But her quote there was like, she kind of had pushed for some more private sector involvement in Artemis, but the forces of the government status quo were too strong. So the result 
result was the rocket that you have, but you can tie it into a bigger picture conversation of saying like, we are doing this now to pave the way for a crude Artemis II mission. And if you look at the spend in the scope of all of that, still a lot, but we're making an investment in the future. Are we not, David? If we want to look a little more at the history of the SLS program, right after the Obama administration made the compromise that said, okay, you'll get your big rocket. One reason why the Obama administration said, but we're not going to the moon, is not because they hated the moon. It's because we didn't have a lander and there was no money to build one. And really everyone who had built lunar landers before is, is dead or are nearly there. So- the idea was, well, let's go to Mars. We don't have a Mars lander either, but hey, that's somebody else's problem, as I alluded to earlier. To circle back on a question that you'd asked earlier about why what Europa has to do with SLS, the answer is SLS needed a place to go, right? We weren't going to Mars for 20 years, but for some reason we were building a rocket now. We didn't have a lander to get to the moon, so we certainly weren't going there. Europa needed a rocket. Europa's a pretty heavy spacecraft. It's about the size of a, once its solar arrays unfold, it'll be about the size of a regulation basketball court. So a big rocket would be useful for that. And so those two missions really helped each other along. Again, everything's connected, right? So Europa had a rocket, a rocket had a destination, everybody won. And in fact, both projects were approved. Now, nobody, I think, who pays attention to any of this really thinks the SLS rocket is going to be the backbone of our exploration of the moon and of Mars. You'd mentioned earlier that the SLS rocket costs $4 billion. In fact, it costs $4 billion per launch. And this is not a reusable rocket. Every time we launch one of these $4 billion rockets, we drop it in the ocean at the end. In fact, it's cost about $25 billion to develop this rocket. Meanwhile, Starship, which is the enormous rocket, far more powerful than not only SLS, but in fact, than the Saturn V that put men on the moon, Starship will cost about $250 million per launch, and it's reusable. Well, and that has been an exciting thing about Artemis. As much as we hate to see kind of quote-unquote failures of the space program where we are all geared up for launch and ready, and then it doesn't happen, I think the excitement that we've seen around these launches shows that there is a lot of renewed interest in the space program, at least across, I mean, we're certainly talking to some extent to a federal audience here. So I saw my friends across federal government. Again, we don't have a lot to get excited about in government sometimes that's positive, but certainly a mission going to the moon, going to Mars is one of those things. That's actually a really good and nuanced point. If we look at SLS, so much of NASA is always not what it seems. The International Space Station is the greatest waste of money, perhaps, in the history of the United States. From the point of view of the International Space Station as an as a investment in learning Russian aerospace abilities, it was the deal of the century at, at $100 billion. When we look at SLS, $25 billion, it's an embarrassment of a, of a rocket. It's a colossal, colossal waste of money. However, here is where the point you make is very astute and where it might actually be itself quite a deal for the American taxpayer and certainly for the American space program. And that specifically is NASA repeatedly, as I mentioned before, has tried to get a moon mission going or to get a Mars mission going, and it has repeatedly failed. And one reason why it's failed all of these times is because there's been no sort of rally point 
There's been no thing to go forward. We do very well when we have a thing to organize our forces. In this case, SLS sort of turned into that thing. It turned into the foundation of human spaceflight. Moreover, by having SLS, NASA was able to go to Europe and Japan and Canada and say, look, we're going to the moon. We have this big rocket and we're serious about it because we just spent $25 billion. What we need from you is serious buy-in. This is what NASA is saying. If we do this on our own, we're going to be canceled by the next president, undoubtedly. However, if we have 20 countries invested in this, each spending billions of dollars or the equivalent of billions of dollars to pull out of the Artemis program would be, in fact, international scandal on a, on a major scale. So SLS sort of turned into a battering ram. It's really pushed forward for the first time since the 1960s, our lunar aspirations. Now, we can argue whether going to the moon is even a worthy target. I personally would say we should be going to Mars instead. But the fact that NASA is finally leaving low Earth orbit, finally leaving the International Space Station, it'll still be there, but we're going to go a little bit higher than that. That's no small achievement. And with the international buy-in, the goal is to make it a lot cheaper to build a permanent base on the moon. I mean, that's the sort of thing we'll see in the next, say, 20 or 30 years. I mean, hopefully concurrently we're seeing, you know, an American flag planet on Mars. I mean, the notion of having a moon base that is 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, just as we have with the International Space Station, is nothing short of... I mean, almost miraculous. If you were an 18-year-old kid or a soldier, right? I mean, 18's a pretty 18's an adult. You've never known one day of your life where human beings were confined only to Earth. There's always been at least one human being on the International Space Station. And now we're going to be multi-planetary with a sort of a similar setup on the moon. It really is something to be excited about because one problem that you know, one problem that NASA always has is everything it does is long term. NASA just doesn't do anything that you, you say yes this year and then next year it launches. That never happens. And so there's not a lot of motivation for a president to seriously invest in any major program because he and maybe one day she will be out of office long before sort of any of the goodies come their way, any of the accolades, any of the, the president calling the astronauts on the moon. So for this program to survive is very exciting because it means at this point that it's going to survive whoever the next president is and very likely the president after that. I mean, this thing is actually happening. That's crazy. I've been waiting for this my entire life. NASA has not landed or soft landed an atom on the moon since 1972. You know, that's the sort of thing that we're going to see in the next, you know, next five to 10 years. What's it been like, like on the ground and then to have it not happen? Is that just like a crushing? I'm just curious about that. When you're covering these launches from Cape Canaveral, most members of the press corps who were there usually done this for a few years. It's a pretty sweet deal for something as big as SLS. I have not encountered a rocket this powerful in my career. Nobody has, or, or very few people have. The, the shuttle was very powerful, but SLS should be more powerful than the shuttle. So when it when it actually launches, it's going to be a situation where you see it, like you see it light up, then you hear it rumble very loudly, and then you're going to feel it and like, the, the coins in your pocket are going to start rattling together like it's serious business. We'll get our chance. If you are listening and you are just super disappointed that you did not get to see the Artemis launch, probably most of us like me from the comfort of our living rooms and laptops, you can certainly pick up David Brown's 
the mission available on paperback now and you can walk through the whole process and it is like i mean if you're if you geek out on stuff like this the intersection of government and congress and decision making and the budgets behind it but you also just kind of love the space program i mean the mission is a great book because it unpacks all of that and a lot of the personal stories behind it so thank you so much david for being on the show and chatting with me today thank you very much for having me This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.